do y'all talk to your cats? Yeah. Uh, what? No. Yes. Huh? All the time. Yeah. They're actually, they, they lead the meetings I'm on. They'll just, my willow in the background, meow, meow. I'm like, I can't. Sorry, this is, <laughs> she's telling you what's up. Listen to her. Yeah. <laughs> How about your dogs? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I feel like, so like, uh, Adrian's been doing online classes. Um, she's in an interior design program. And so, most of the days she's in classes or if she's not in class, she's just working on assignments and stuff like that. So she's bunkered away in, in her office. And, um, you know, if I'm working from home, I'm either downstairs or kind of up here in our spare room. And, uh, I feel like the most conversation I have with any living being is with the dogs, even though I am on a lot of zoom calls, like throughout the day for, for throughout the week for work, it's like, I talk to the dogs kind of constantly. Some reassurance. <clears throat> and yeah. yeah. And I know that they know what I'm saying. <laughs> For I the take most it. part. Yeah, exactly. They're cocking their heads side to side. I, I've noticed that if I say, do you, then both of them like perk up, like, what are you, what are you going to say? <laughs> Is it going to be park? Is it going to be cheese? Like, <laughs> <nope>. So many options. <laughs> do I what? Yeah, I... Our, our littlest cat Yuffie sh- like I've never met an, an animal that vocalizes in a way that I feel like I truly know what she's saying to me and she's like this sassy little teenager now and she will just like sit kind of near me and go eh, eh, <laughs> and like these like very like grumpy teenager like mom mom and I'm I now just meow the same sound back at her. And so it's like just five minutes of it going, yeah, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> And I was like, an outside observer would probably worry about <laughs> my level of mental sanity while doing this. But yeah, I talk to my cats a lot, like a lot. And I wish it was about interesting things. Like I'm just telling them stories, but I'm just like, do you have a foot? Do you have a fuzzy foot? Yes. Like, yeah, I do have a fuzzy foot. Yeah. Is that a bird? Is that a crow? Is it taunting you? Oh, that's too bad. Is that a squirrel? Do you see the squirrel? Do you want to get the squirrel? Wow. What a big stretch. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How does your butt get so fluffy? Oh, don't put that butt in my face. <laughs> how did you i know they were like how did you get so cute how are you such a cat did you you're know so you're big. a cat <laughs> i also yeah. love telling yuffie the journey that she went on to get here i'm like do you realize what had to happen to get you here and she's like no because i don't like it I don't remember so, honestly <laughs> i don't know i don't care i am a cat <laughs> one of these days we're just going to pivot the podcast entirely to pet chat <laughs> totally down yeah. it can be our spinoff yeah. go dig a hole still works for like cats in litter boxes and dogs in yards boom there we go we're we don't even ahead. have to rebrand or anything love it evergreen you, content you were thinking ahead <laughs> <laughs>
prepared for the eventual pivot. Yeah. You've got some questions. Got it all. You're feeling stressed, man. Got it all. Put on your GPS and got it all. I'm to turn something that's glistening. Download and listen to Tia, Katie, Chris, and Kirsten. You should got it all. Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. This is Chris, and today we've got Tipton and Tia. Uh, we're missing Kirsten because she just gave birth to her second child, little baby Joel. So congratulations to Kirsten and her partner Nate and her daughter Satara. Uh, we're real excited for all of you. Um, today's episode, we're going back to the basics and uh, starting to crack open a can of worms that we're going to pursue for quite a while. And we have uh, some more episodes planned for you. So um, podcast not done. We're just shaking off the dust, uh, as I'm sure everybody else knows. Um, it, the last year hasn't really been fun or easy. And strangely enough, for us working in our jobs, it's been busier than ever. So uh, it's kind of less available to all of us and more expected of all of us. So uh, thanks for being patient. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for all the continued support. It means a lot. And um, we're excited to come back. So enjoy today's episode. So I guess we're kind of at, not really a pivot point, but like I've been going back through the archive episodes and I can't even remember how long it's been since the first podcast episode aired, something like four or five years, maybe six years. I don't know. Um, But so when it first started, I was at a point where like I was fresh out of grad school or maybe I was still in grad school and um, I was trying to find ways to like help get other people who were like early in their career or like finding out how to navigate, you know, just finding a job in archeology span and how to get through all of the aspects of archeology. span And then it kind of like morphed from there into like, how do we sustain a career in archeology? span Like basically all the stuff I was going through. And then like, as my experience with archeology span changed and I started to be exposed to things like um, racism and sexual assault and like uh, museums are actually problematic. Like the things that uh, I wasn't learning in school at the time that now are, you know, at the forefront of kind of the, the discussion of, of our discipline. Uh, so the podcast changed too. And then fast forward a couple of years and, um, you know, you two joined the show, uh, Kirsten had joined the show too. And so then it became like, we're all buddies and it's, uh, you know, Chris and Tipton and Tia and Kirsten and we're sitting around in an Airstream trailer drinking beers <laughs> and just telling stories, having a good time. And then like nerding out over building codes and stuff like that. <laughs> and now it's like, that has been going on, but going back through the, the archive episodes, I've been going backwards in time. And so the archive episodes are going like deeper into time, like back to the beginning. And so on one of the last episodes, Tia, you mentioned, uh, you know, it would be good to go kind of back to the basics of how, how do you get into archeology? span Like, what does it take to get into archeology? span What are the things you need to know? Like, what are the building blocks of uh, being an archeologist span 
or, you know, doing archaeology. Uh, and so it's just kind of interesting to have these parallel threads, like going in like kind of a loop, uh, <laughs> like a feedback loop. And now we're back to a point, but it's also like some of the things that I've encountered in the archive episodes as I've gone back are like really outdated. Um, and like some of them are wrong. And um, like one of the things that I encountered was uh, one of the guests on an early episode the question was like, how do you weather um, like the winter down season in CRM archaeology? And their advice was max out your credit card and go on vacation somewhere cheap. And I was just like, at the time I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. This sounds really fun. <laughs> and now I would, I would just be like, get off the show. Like right now, click, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> you are the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. We've been watching that maybe. <laughs> yes nailed it i've been watching the bachelor so at least you're getting trivia <laughs> i just started sopranos for the first time ever i never watched it before nice yeah and there are times when like in you know i've i've encountered people who are like man tony soprano is so cool and i'm like did you watch the show <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like like wolf of wall street or like Scarface, it's like these these you know strongman figures where you're like, it's a cautionary tale. Like you're not supposed to idolize this person. The antihero. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you anyway, watch? Don't max out your credit card. Don't. Yeah, don't. Yeah, I was told that by my boss when I first started. <clears throat> Like they were like, when, when you aren't doing field work, like people tend to go on like major vacations. And I was like, and I don't know, then when it happened to me, like when the winter hit, I was like, I don't have enough money. And even though right. I made good money over the summer, I do not have enough money over the summer to be able to pay for a vacation for several months to some foreign country. At least like, I don't know if some people like were living with, their parents are living in like very very cheap multi-people houses or what but I, yeah i never found that that was something that was sustainable or made for a well-adjusted adult down the line yeah yeah and like uh kind of getting started in archaeology like it the idea of an unpaid internship or like field school that you have to pay to go to um I feel like that concept kind of needs updated too, because I, I've been seeing some paid internships being a little bit more common and field schools, uh, from what I understand, you still have to pay to go to them, but like being a little more accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure how to like, cause the field school is definitely like, cause I learned, you learn the basic building blocks of like what the job entails but like if I was to tell you like where I really learned how to dig a shovel test or where I really learned how to dig a one by one it wasn't at field school it was mostly that I had heard those terms before and seen vaguely how to do them but then when you get in a CRM and someone's like dig a shovel test it is not like when you were in your field school you're not taking like and like forever to dig one like you're <laughs> hauling through it and then you're like cool I'm done move on yeah and like I had to have a like I told one of my coworkers, I was like I haven't done one of these since field school 
um, I, I know I'm digging this slowly. Can you teach me how to better do this? And she sat there and like took the time to like showed me how to like hold a shovel better, how to dig with a shovel correctly, how like to like how much of the shovel is like 10 centimeters. You can kind of gauge if you are doing that, like where to stop on the shovel, mm -hmm. um, which was not stuff that I learned in field school, but I'm not, and maybe I'm biased because I took one, but I appreciated it. But they are, I think, probably one of the biggest blocks to people getting into archaeology. Because if you can't, like, one, you're not accepted into a, a field school, or if you can't afford one, mm -hmm. like, then you're just like, well, I, I'll never be, I, I won't be an archaeologist. Um, and you know, it, it tends to push out minority communities, um, and that's not okay. Um, but I, I, I can't think of, you know, I think a paid internship is great, but I think that also might require like CRM companies or the Fed to put together something to help educate students. Um, and I don't foresee CRM doing that. Um, and I don't foresee the Fed having enough ability, staff, man hours, time to be able to really like teach stuff well. So I'm, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like we know, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. I was gonna say it's that weird gray, gray area of like, we've all experienced it, but it's like, how do you get that to shift? Yeah. We all feel like it needs to shift, but me personally, like I don't have a good idea of how to do it. Sometimes yeah. it's just throwing something until it sticks. Like, yeah. I don't know, like academic programs, reevaluating like their class structure. I know PSU tried having, you know, field classes and they take undergrads out with grad students to you know, have a practice survey. So it is a learning environment. So you don't, there's not pressure to identify things. There's not that, that aspect, mm -hmm. but you know, it's really hard to, to kind of incorporate that time as well into classes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That might be a, a good idea that like, maybe like once you get into the, like you declare the archeology span major or whatever, like, each semester like you have a 100 level 200 level 300 level 400 level like field class that like what shelby did for us at psu like you learn the method in the class and then on the weekend like go do pedestrian survey in a park or you know go like i don't know even like find just like digging like just you don't even need to find anything but just like go to a place where they'll let you dig a hole <laughs> <laughs> and like show them like this is how you dig a hole <laughs> yeah 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 that could that yeah that's a really that that could work by golly it could work <laughs> <laughs> but it's getting it to in action it's applying it you know because you still you know i do think you know, learning theories as well is really helpful. I mean, you're not going to apply a theory to a whole, but you kind of know the bigger, <laughs> the bigger, broader aspects of what you're doing. I, I remember being asked in class, I think it was uh, our archaeological, what is our core archaeology mm -hmm. class and our professor 
Doug Wilson was like, how do you take theory and apply it to your shovel test? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't like hunter gatherer theory to a, a shovel probe. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> my, my joke for a long time has been, you know, if, if you're serving an area and it's just like negative shovel test after negative shovel test, like all day long at the end of the day, you just go, well, we're confirming the null hypothesis. There you go. <laughs> we don't expect things to be here. And sure enough, there's not. <laughs> Woohoo. Until the last hole. Yeah. On a Friday. You find Always. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where, what theory that is. Is that Murphy's law? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. See? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's yeah. Just... Go ahead. <laughs> No, go ahead. I was, my thing was just, yeah. <laughs> so was mine. <laughs> We're doing really yeah. well. Hmm. We're a year into this. Woo. But yeah, I think a building blocks, like, I think your idea of like building blocks, like step one, step two, step three, and then like, even just talking about like, so we did some interviews a lot, like a while ago for BPA and just sort of seeing like you could tell some people knew how to interview for a CRM position but not necessarily knew how to interview for a federal position like working for the Fed. I think that that like adding on to the basics like that was not something I knew how to do like the only reason that I was able to do my Fed interview is because Tipton was like this is these are the kinds of questions they're going to ask you. And I think Tipton knew because she had a friend who worked there who was like, these are the kind of questions that they are going to ask you. Um, Cause I think, you know, navigating school is hard navigating like what classes to take. Should you just take all the anthropology classes? Spoiler, some, but not all you should <laughs> diversify. Don't, don't just take only anthropology. Um, but then like, what do you do in your final years? Like senior year, like what, like, what do you do when you're done? Where should you look for jobs? How do you interview for positions at different kinds of archeology span jobs? And like, what do you need for it? So yeah, I think this basic building blocks of like, how do you become an, a fully grown archeologist is, is great. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a great line and that, a, a great line of like questions and ideas to follow. And it'll probably take us more than one episode to go this direction. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I would love to, unpack. but also, yeah. <laughs> so I guess let's start with um, some, some basic questions that we would like to pursue in this line. And maybe we don't answer all of them in this episode. <clears throat> uh, but some of them are, what classes do you need to take? How should you be taking undergrad? How seriously should you take undergrad? How do you get a job? The basics of for your first job. Uh, what kinds of projects are you going to work on? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a good starting point. Uh, and a lot is going to go from there. So I guess let's start with classes. Um, so for the classes that you need to take to get an anthropology degree with a concentration in archaeology. Um, 
it's been a hot minute since I went through my bachelor's program, but um, I, I wouldn't say the field has changed radically since then. And, um, you know, the, it also depends on what school you're going to. And um, if you're coming from a community college, not a whole lot of community colleges offer anthropology um, courses, or at least ones that will transfer into a degree program. <clears throat> so, you know, what I've seen uh, a lot of folks who do go to community college will get an associate's degree transfer into um, like a, a state school and, um, you know, finish up the, the bachelor's degree uh, with whatever is a little bit more specialized there. Um, for me, it was like, I, I went to a state school all four years and it started off at kind of the general four field approach and I took, um, cultural anthropology, um, some, uh, bioanthropology, a whole bunch of archeology span and, um, some theory as well. And, you know, it was, it was enough and the, you know, your advisor will guide you through what, what you have to do to concentrate in an area if concentration is offered at your program. And also it's worth noting, you can't tell from all of our accents, we're in the United States. So um, the way we do college in the United States uh, is also different from other countries. Yes. That's Absolutely. also a fair statement. And I think we all went to state schools, state universities. Mm -hmm. So I know for Washington State in my undergrad, they were a four. They made you take a class from each of the subfields. So you had to have a linguistics, you had to have a bio or physical anthropology, then you had to have archaeology, and you had to have a cultural uh, mm -hmm. so they, those were the main requirements to get the degree. And then after that, you could kind of dabble in what mm -hmm. suited your fancy kind of, for at least Washington state. Yeah. Colorado state was the same way. Um, so that we claimed we were a four field approach, mm -hmm. um, but I never took a linguistics class. Um, okay. <laughs> so I think a lot of places like they, they do the quote unquote four field approach um, and you will most likely never see a linguistics class. Um, but I think more places are starting to move linguistics outside of anthropology and more into different departments. Um, so like if linguistics is your jam, like don't be afraid, but anthropology might not be where you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, CSU did the same. You had to, you could choose like a focus um, and then that fo each focus had like different sorts of like requirements that they wanted you to do to get the focus. Um, but also you needed to take like a certain number of bio classes, a certain number of cultural classes. Um, uh, and then like you needed a statistics class to, to pass, you know, to get the anthropology degree and then to get, I think the archeology span and the bio like sub thing they required a stat um stat class but yeah so I I did those but my advisor never really like there was only one time that he suggested like anything outside of the anthropology program is like besides like what was required like a geology course or a geography or like you know stuff like that he like randomly mentioned once that he was like I feel like 
archaeologists should take a, more business classes. Um, and I was like, you know, a classic college <laughs> student. I was like, people who do business majors are dumb. Um, and I deeply regret that now because <laughs> so often do I go, I really wish I had taken at least a couple business classes Same. <laughs> to understand um, like just business better. And like, and then I look at some of the classes that I took that I'm like, what the frick was this required? And I also had like a history minor. So like I took a shit ton of history courses because I was like, I like history. And I'm like, if I could go back and be like, all right, you're getting enough in archaeology. You don't need a history minor. Like, that's not ever going to help you. <laughs> I accidentally minored in history. Like, I took enough history classes. My advisor was like, oh, you you can declare this as a minor. And I'm like, all right, fine. Yes, here we go. So if you're looking for a minor, you can accidentally do history for sure. Yeah, I got a minor in World War II history. Has it done anything for me? No. But I can chat with World War II bros, so that's go to, cool. Go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. <laughs> exactly. Come at me. Dunkirk, bring it. Yeah. <laughs> there was a meme that Robert saw once that was like... Um, it was like two people battling, and it was like World War II bros and like girls who like um true crime and he sent me with his caption was but what if your girl is both <laughs> it was like but i wanted to um when we were talking about classes i think what really helped me in the required classes even outside your major like when you're in the liberal arts college and they're like you have to take a science you have to take a math it really helps to like think about those specific classes you're taking as well. Like I got lucky and was interested in geology. So I just decided to take geology classes to supplement my, like my lab and science uh, portion of my courses. So just really taking those into consideration when you are looking to fulfill those requirements, maybe make sure it's also helping you in the aspect of anthropology or archeology span specific like statistics Absolutely. for your math yeah. requirement because I didn't take statistics. I still haven't taken statistics. So <sighs> thriving. Absolutely. That's yeah. a really good point that like you should be thinking, especially if you want to do archaeology, like you work in the soil and I am to this day so mad that I I hated my geography course and when we got to the soils I like literally turned off I was like I hate soils they're dumb and now I'm sitting here kicking myself because like all I do all day is like fuck around in soils and I don't know what an a horizon like I still struggle with what an a horizon and a b horizon and I'm like oh my god I don't know I try so hard but I, I so like yeah those kinds of classes like geology soils classes if you have them um if you want to go somewhere else in the world to do archaeology, maybe consider taking that language. Like if you want to do South American, like you should probably be minoring in Spanish or, you know, Portuguese or something. Um, if you, I like um, in our notes that we were talking about, like Tipton mentioned like environmental science classes. Like we deal so often with like NEPA and all that kind of stuff in our jobs that mm -hmm. like, 
getting a basic understanding of environment um, and environmental science. And if you possibly have or are lucky enough to have a class that's like environmental law, like you should take that. Cause if you're looking at going into like federal, like you're going to be dealing with those federal laws that, you know, having case law behind them might be, you know, a helpful sort of thing. Um, I think also like the business classes to understand the business side of archeology. span um, And a lot of us basically are contractors. You go, you float, when you start, you float from place to place. And if you're lucky enough to be able to stay with one place, that's great, but a lot of people don't. So taking a business class to learn kind of how to market yourself or do like freelance, like understand how to manage your time and manage your work um, and manage a budget or something, you know, business classes are great. And I think that people should really look into those kinds of things because it's, it's helpful. Um, and it can also help you understand like how a company is run and like why it does what it does. And so you're not just sitting there being like, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just an archeologist. Um, I'm trying to think what other courses, like I really wish that I had taken and I was silly and didn't, um, yeah, better science classes as opposed to like oceanography, which everyone was like, it's an easy class. And so I was like, cool, I'll take oceanography. Like, again, have I used it? Not <laughs> once. Well, I think that segues into how to like better, like the effort to put into your undergrad. I mean, definitely put effort into it. You, you can get away with doing stuff with a BA, like a master's is not always like your ticket into the door. If you have a very solid BA and really good grades and have had internships and stuff, you know, that really works well in your favor and taking that seriously, of course, have fun, but, you know, exploring those, those courses that will not only help you with archaeology, but could help you expand into other careers. If archaeology turns out, it's not your thing. You have a, a really good foundation to kind of springboard off of yeah and I Robert and I have been talking a lot lately about um like how people think about undergrad and like how our culture thinks about undergrad and um he's an accountant and he was like we've just been talking and saying like people need to treat um your undergrad as a business and that like you are investing in a business and the business is you. So if you want to be your business is archaeology, really think about what, and, you know, listening to this podcast, reading, going on blogs, um, you know, stuff, understanding what the field of archaeology is so that you can invest in your business in the best way possible. So, you know, of course, college is fun. And of course, college has, is more about than just like going to classes and stuff. Um, but like, you know, <laughs> um, but you should be really thinking about like, if you really want to do archeology span and you want to make money in it, like invest in your business and invest well and choose, you know, those things that can help you with that. As Tipton was saying that, you know, when you get out, you have a really solid foundation that you can market yourself to the best of your ability by being like, look at all these skills. Like I have here that make me like a great archaeologist, a great office worker. Like I've taken class, I know how to write. Um, you know, I have good management skills, like all those kinds of things shine to employers. Um, and like, even if you maybe don't have a, uh, field school, like taking those other classes that can help as Tipton say, like show an employer, like 
these are the things that I can do and I do know about the field. So like, like my master's was important, but I think my master's was more like, can I stick with a project for a while? And like, I know how to make a research question and then go from there. But I think the more fundamental thing to my archeology span was like my undergrad. And then those early days in CRM, um, those early, early days, but like, not not this in my master's because my I'm very, very proud of my master's, but <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think undergrad is in, is important. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of where you start your path and start pointing yourself in a certain direction, um, and everything else after that, your master's or PhD or uh, your on the job training kind of hones that direction. Um, but also, I guess, to set expectations for anybody thinking about a path in archaeology, it's not a linear path. It never is. <laughs> and also, like, your your job. I think one of the other things that makes my, like, I've, I've only ever worked after school. I only ever worked in CRM. Um, and, you know, I, I worked at a tech startup and I also worked, um, in the nonprofit world for a little bit, but in terms of archeology, span it was only CRM. And one of the things that's interesting for me is to see that across the board, like different sized CRM companies and different CRM companies in different areas of the country, um, don't have the same job titles. And sometimes those job titles don't have the exact same duties and they don't have the same pay. And so like shooting for project manager, for example, or I guess like shooting for field director is, is probably a, a better way to put it. Like you shoot for field director. That's a term that comes from a lot of the like federal um, proposals, like requests for proposals, like list who's going to be the field director on this project. But when that's like your job title, your corporate title, I guess if, if you were to call it like what your company calls you might not be field director. You might be called something like um, associate archaeologist or crew chief, um, something like that. And so there's a lot of inconsistency. And so that's another thing that's really difficult to navigate early on is this like really muddy water of like, what is a job called and what are the duties of this job and what does it get paid? Like, what is the job that I should have? Like a lot of times it's hard to know like what the job you want is called, <laughs> like yeah. what you should be shooting for. Like you don't know what the target should be. Yeah. Or even just uh -huh. like looking for the job, like when you're searching, you know, like I'm looking for an archeologist, but then that opens like a Pandora's box of like a project, you know, a field director or um trying to figure out and also i've noticed though in our field people look at job positions and think they're not qualified or that i'm not going to apply for that because i don't have x y and z and at the end of the day it doesn't hurt to put the application in and kind of mm -hmm. I, I hate to say it's a numbers game but go for it if it even if it says you you know master masters and you only have a ba or bs it doesn't hurt to just shoot your shot. And the worst they can mm -hmm. say is no or not offer you an interview. And then, you know, okay, 
maybe I need to work on my resume or there are other opportunities, but you just, it doesn't hurt to apply. I think that's the biggest message I'm trying to get across is just do it. Even if you think you're not qualified, you never know what the hiring managers are looking at or what they'll see in your application for those positions. Absolutely. And then, so two points on that. Um, uh, I always, so my big problem was I always thought that like everyone who I was competing for a position with was like, everyone was a stellar person. Like everyone's a stellar applicant. Everyone is really talented and like probably more talented than you. And like, oh my gosh. And then like, don't, don't sell yourself short. Don't like knock yourself down a peg. And honestly, there are probably like three or four other people who are applying, who are like good candidate. And then everyone else is like, you know, trying, like shooting their shots, seeing like, is this where I'm supposed to be? Like, is this, am I going to get a call back? No. Okay. Then I might not hit their thing. Like if you read something and you're like, Oh, I am beyond qualified. Do not sell yourself short. Do not second guess yourself. So that if you do get in that interview, like don't, don't sell, sell yourself short. Like you are probably one of a couple of people who are like, if you think like, Oh, I'm really qualified. And you're not just like a crazy person. Um, that's probably like, you've got a good shot. Just keep, just stay positive. And if you are just shooting your shot, like don't sell yourself short on that either. Like as Tipton was saying, like, that's a valuable thing to throw your resume out there. And if it doesn't get a bite, maybe something's wrong or maybe you need more experience. Um, and then the second thing um, is uh, I was always a little scared when applying to like part-time field technician, like only want you for the summer. Don't limit yourself on that. Cause if they say part-time for the summer, market the shit out of yourself. Like I will work in the office. I will scan forms. I will fill out site forms. I will do the jobs that nobody likes doing. Nobody likes filling out forms. Nobody likes editing photos that they fit into a report. But if you, <laughs> if you sit there and you, <laughs> but like, that's how I got, like, that's how I got my full-time position is I told the guy, I will literally do any of the archaeology office tasks that you hate to, to fill up my full time. And so from there, I went from being quote unquote, a part-time seasonal field technician to, I worked full-time in the office and I started out editing photos on a word document to be able to put into a report. It was super boring, but I got paid. I got paid for the hours that I was there and I showed the, my boss that I was hardworking, willing to listen, willing to, you know, do like put in the work and it makes a difference. So if you see like part-time, don't, don't scare yourself. Just know that like you can convince someone to make you a full-time employee. Totally agree. Uh, that I've seen that happen in a lot of roles and that ended up being my case too. It was just like, like you said, just making yourself willing to take on all of the tasks, all of the jobs, um, and, you know, not turning one down cause it's not fun or interesting. It's like, I don't know how many negative shovel tests our listeners have dug, but like archeology span isn't always fun or interesting. Uh, it's a job and, you know, like all jobs, it has its ups and downs, but, you know, I, I think, um, it's 
it's also one of those things that's really hard when you're starting off in a job where in the early phases of, you know, building experience, a lot of people are going to run into a situation where it takes experience, but you don't have that experience. And so it's like, how do you navigate that? And so that's the kind of skill that will build enough experience that lets you like kind of get over that first hurdle of having enough experience to keep some momentum going on, you know, other positions, you know, maybe other duties, stuff like that. Um, but I guess to like bring it back to school, um, writing, I think is probably one of the most, uh, I wouldn't say it's like an overlooked skill. I I think it's a skill that really has a, a lot of, um, importance. So like being a really good technical writer, being a clear writer, understanding how to remove passive voice from a technical report is such a huge skill. Um, and, uh, that's the kind of skill that will also help bridge those gaps in jobs where like maybe the, the person who's the project manager or principal investigator for a project is like, you know what, I'm absolutely swamped. I know I'm supposed to be writing this section of the report, but you're a good writer, jump in. And, you know, that's, that's kind of how a lot of people get their shot. Um, and that's what moves them from like field tech to crew chief or crew chief to project manager, like that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take that science writing class. I know it sounds stupid and it's dumb. Take that science writing class. Like if you cannot, like, yeah, cause you need to be able to write. And there have been times where, you know, someone's a good archaeologist, but they're not a good writer and they can get passed over for positions or like you might have a harder time, like transferring archaeology into a more full time if your writing is not um, uh, good Um, and anyone can become a good writer. So if you're not a good writer now, like don't like don't worry about it. Like there's ways to become a good writer um, and I think science writing is easier than like your English class yeah. kind of writing. Yeah. So like, if you like, we're like, well, my essays in English class were bad. Like <laughs> science writing is very different. So yeah, um, it's you writing can also, by numbers. <laughs> exactly. Data, um, writing about data. And I think also if you're someone though, like you're a good editor, like you understand grammar and stuff, you can also market to, um, uh, to employers out of school being like, I was really good at editing. Um, I was frequently used, you know, I edited peers work. Um, another thing from school, but not to derail it from the school, but yeah, definitely take that science writing class and um, use all yeah. the writing opportunities. Yeah, or there also like research uh, writing classes as well. I know are offered. So it's like science, but also learning how to, you know, have your thesis statement and being clear and concise in your research and having it transpire into the writing itself and being able to take multiple sources as well and kind of smushing it into something cohesive because you do a lot of writing i think people think that archaeology is all field work it's so much writing it's so much writing and research and knowing how to cite something correctly and knowing how to like organize a report into a cohesive and understandable manner, um, how to detail findings in a 
coherent manner. But yeah, archaeology is not just field work because when you finish the field, you've got to write it all up to give it to people. And it is, Ar writing has been the downfall of many a man. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And like what a good table looks like, what should be in a good table. Um, you know, it, it's like GIS is a whole different thing too. Like GIS charts, graphs. Um, I had a geology professor, uh, Andrew Hecker, who said, anything you have to say can be said with a good diagram. I, I can, I hear, I hear that. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> And, and he lived by that. I, I mean, he, he has some good diagrams, but like th that's just kind of stuck with me. I, I think that's one of those things that like I've carried along is like uh, if, if I have a huge, really dense block of text, what would make it really pop is probably a good diagram. I think another class that we skipped over um, and I can't believe I, we like GIS, like if you have a GIS class available to you at your school, in your geography department, jump on that because that is a skill set that so many archaeologists don't have, especially um, an, the older group of archaeologists don't have it. Um, if you can come in and say, I understand GIS, I understand mapping software, I know how to make a map, I know how to work with shape files, Google Earth, KMZs, like that's a that's a big deal. And it's just beyond helpful, like to archaeology in general, just having a basic understanding of GIS and ArcMap and even some like, you know, more free services. Um, so take that GIS class. It's helped me more often than not to have that, that background. I would say take a GIS class, even if you don't intend on being a GIS specialist, because it helps you understand like, for me, at least, like the, the GIS courses I took were in the geography department, not in anthropology. And so it helped me understand these kind of like general principles in geography that I didn't hear in any of my anthropology courses. And also like you pick up on other just important life skills, like understanding population density, uh, stuff like that. And like you pull mm -hmm. in all the, all these interesting, like, uh, um, like statistical issues that, that come into like GIS. And then also, you know, if you're working, you know, on any sized archeology span project, you know, I, I think probably no matter if it's CRM or in the, you know, federal or state agency sphere, um, or even in the academic sphere, if you're working, you know, across several researchers on a large project, it helps you understand how to speak to people who are GIS specialists and, you know, understand what GIS is capable of um, rather than it just being a mystery where like you email somebody and say, I need a map for this. And then they spit out a map without really understanding all of the moving parts that go behind that. Yeah. And recognizing how much time it takes to, to create that map as well. Yeah. So you can, kind of have that conversation of like, I know I need to make a, I don't know, area of potential effects, but like where in the database to find that, like how to just bring that all together. Hi, Artie. <laughs> What's your feeling on GIS? It's, oh. it's done. <laughs> <laughs>
I actually enjoyed it so much because GIS has such a process to it. Like it's, you do this step, this step, and this step, and you get this result. And it was such a nice escape from all the theory and just abstract thinking. And you're just like, it, it just is also a nice kind of break from different studies as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love GIS and I love its applications to archaeology. And I think like the days where I get to like putz around with GIS at work are, are good days. Because <laughs> it takes you out of the like, yeah. I'm writing a report. I'm writing my 10th initiation letter of the week. Like <laughs> it's just, it's a nice break and a different part of your brain. Yeah, it's a process. And then at the end of it, you get to see a finished result. And there's something that feels good about seeing a finished result. Always nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, that probably wraps it up for today's episode. Um, we covered a lot of ground in terms of uh, breaking into our building, bro building blocks. And, you know, we have a lot more detail that we can go into and a, a lot more ground that we can cover with, with these. Um, you know, maybe the next episode isn't a building block episode, but it's something that we'll probably touch back in on a lot. Um, so yeah, I guess, is, is there anything else that y'all wanted to say before we call it a day? No, I just hope everyone's doing well and just keep going. You're doing awesome. All of you just positivity out there. Yeah. Into the universe. Yeah. And like hiring season's coming. So, mm -hmm. you know, get ready and, you know, archaeology at least from our perspective people working in it hasn't much slowed down um and taking covid precautions so if you're you know out of school and you're ready and excited like as surgeon said like you know let's you know go get it go get like go shoot your shot go get it <laughs> yeah oh actually um i know i this is probably airing before nwax northwest Amphitheater anthropological conference this year is virtual and it's free to attend Woo! this year yeah completely free so it's uh april 7th through the 10th i believe for the virtual dates and please participate i'll be there it's free there's shirts cool. go buy a shirt <laughs> with your your extra money yes. have they closed um like submissions for like talks or online posters or whatever no they just opened actually oh, submissions cool. okay. for individual submissions i know they were looking for um for the sessions but the individual uh submissions are open cool. and i believe they close march 15th cool okay awesome yeah. don't quote me <laughs> dates are dates are all running together but they close in about two weeks sweet nice yeah. Cool. Well, let's call that an episode. Cool. We also don't have a set way to finish our episodes, which is fine. Well, if it could be a dance, <laughs> yeah, be all for it. Dear but, listeners, we're dancing. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is a shopping cart. I'm grabbing a bacon soda. Nah, moving on. <laughs>
Artie's not. He's like, I don't like dance. What are they doing? <laughs> what are they doing? 